Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. So, Vic, do you think you might have ADHD? Well, listeners keep emailing me telling me that they think I do, so probably. Mind you, listeners also email us saying we talk too much about your mum's feet. So, what do they know? Yeah, fair enough. I honestly had no idea about the connection between overdrinking and ADHD until we started this podcast. About 40% of people that have had any sort of drinking issues also apparently have ADHD. Whenever we chat to ex-drinkers, this comes up more than you'd believe. If you have ADHD or suspect you might, or just want to learn about this link, then we would encourage you to check out the I Have ADHD podcast. It's the place where adults with ADHD find research-based information, validation and tons of support. This is the best way to feel less alone and hear some of the answers to the questions you've been sitting with for too long. You'll hear detailed descriptions of what it means to have ADHD and enjoy interviews with the foremost experts in the industry so that you don't have to read those ADHD books that are collecting dust on your shelf. Yeah. Listen to the I Have ADHD podcast and learn how ADHD affects every aspect of your life. From the boardroom to the bedroom. In the podcast, you'll also hear about their ADHD coaching program, which is called Focused. Focused is made up of three pillars, courses, coaching and community. It is designed to help you build your own self-improvement program and is perfect for the ADHD brain. And you can get $50 off the course just by using the code SOBER, S-O-B-E-R. So if you're tired of feeling stuck and don't know where to start, listen to the I Have ADHD podcast. Hi, I'm Millie McIntosh, and this is Sober Awkward. Have you ever woken up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm never drinking again, and then found yourself waving 50 bucks at a barman by happy hour? Are you wondering why everyone else can stop at one, while you head to a dodgy after-party with a weird bloke called Disco Dave? If so, it might be time to take a deeper look at your relationship with your reliable social crutch, alcohol. On each episode, we'll investigate our own dysfunctional dealings with booze and find out if it's possible to stop this deeply ingrained habit before things get too messy. Yep, we're going to open up a shame shed of humiliating drinking stories to help you understand why waking up from a booze coma each weekend with a kebab sticking out of your top pocket might actually be negatively impacting your health. Hamish and I are here to delve into what it's like being sober, an unwanted warts and all look into why giving up those cheeky pints or putting down those mummy wines will make you feel happier, help your anxiety and mental health and turn you into the most sparkly, authentic version of you. Won't that mean I become boring though, Vic? Well, Hamish, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Hamish Adams-Cairns. And this is Sober Awkward. It was a bit of a wild day, wasn't it, Vic? Yeah, our phones kept lighting up with more notifications of new followers for the Sober Awkward podcast page. I actually thought something had gone wrong. I thought there was a glitch, like the phone was just beeping and beeping and beeping and beeping. Yeah, that was until we both got messages from mates saying that Millie McIntosh had put out a post about being sober and thanked us for being the podcast that had helped. It was so exciting. With her online following of over two million, it was highly surprising that our phones lit up. 
For those of you that don't know Millie, she first graced our screens as part of the original Made in Chelsea cast back in 2011. And was a key part of the success of the show for the first five series before leaving in 2013. She married UK rapper Professor Green in 2013, but that relationship sadly came to an end two years later. In 2018, she married her Made in Chelsea co-star Hugo Taylor and they now have two beautiful daughters together. Today, she is an entrepreneur, a style icon, a model, and a fitness, health, and beauty ambassador. Basically, lots of the things that we aren't, Vic. What are you implying, Hamish, about my sense of style? Literally nothing. I'm sitting here in a free t-shirt and odd socks. <laughs> yeah, actually, I haven't even got a bra on. <laughs> it's not a good look. You met up with her in London, didn't you, Hamish, during your recent trip home? I did. And although everything that we've just mentioned in this little bio is true, she's obviously much more than that. As you will hear, she is someone who's been fighting demons like the rest of us long before she was famous. She's proudly sober. Actually, she gave up very similar time to me and we had a really wonderful time catching up. The reason that we're releasing this episode this week is because on the 25th of August, Millie is celebrating her one year soberversary. So it'll be a nice little touch to release it during her, we can call it a birthday week. Yes, it's a birthday week. It's bigger than my my sober anniversary is bigger than my actual birthday now. Yeah. So I would say yes, definitely. And this gives you, I think this is coming out three or four days before the actual day. So you can organise your gifts and your well-wishing messages. Yes, yeah, send her loads of presents. We'll and flutter. Yeah, yes, flood her with presents and send us a few presents while you're there. Yeah, if, you, if you're organising a package, yeah. we'll take a few. Send two. My, or three. Or five. Fuck like it. We could go on. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the episode. Here is my chat with Millie McIntosh. So we regularly get messages and emails from our listeners. Sometimes we get to meet them, but we have never sat down with one and actually had a chat for the podcast. Really? So you are the first. So oh, thank you so I, much. I feel very honoured. Thank you. Not at all. Thank you for, for inviting me into your home to do it. And it struck me when I sort of started researching your sobriety, which, which actually sounds quite creepy that I started researching you, but I did have to start researching you. I did listen to you on other podcasts. I listened okay. to you on your own podcast which brought about a very entertaining moment with my wife. She came in and she goes, what are you listening to? I was like, I'm listening about how to reclaim my body after giving birth. <laughs> and I actually would encourage any men to listen to your podcast. I think men often okay. think, men think we don't understand women. You always hear this r ridiculous topic, we okay. don't understand women. Listen to a podcast made by women, made for women. There are some secrets there. Well, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> so I know I know how to reclaim my body. Um, but it struck me that we sort of gave up booze at about the same time. Were you yep. August? Is that right? August. August 25th. August 25th. I was July 11th. So I yep. hope that over the course of this chat, we can sort of paint a picture of what that first year is like. For people that gave up like us, who didn't necessarily have a problem with it, but it was certainly causing problems. That's that... why I like listening to your podcast, because I, like in a similar way to you, wouldn't I don't think of myself as an alcoholic mm -hmm. I'm somebody that had a disordered relationship with alcohol um definitely doesn't work for me doesn't suit me it just mm. yeah doesn't it basically just doesn't bring any joy in my life but that, I really love listening to your podcast because I could relate to it yeah thank you I think that's a good place to start so I know that you mentioned that you you identify not so much as sober but as alcohol free so what is the importance of that distinction for you? I think the thing is, when you say the word sober, it's quite weighted mm. and people instantly think, okay, 
oh, alarm bells, this is awkward. There's, this person has a problem. <laughs> this person is an addict. And there's nothing wrong with being an addict. But for me, I don't view myself um, and my journey. I, I wouldn't look at my behavior and say I was an alcoholic, but I would look at it and say it was unhealthy. Um, you know, there, there's times like disordered drinking, um, alcohol abuse disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, there's loads of different like terms out there. Um, but for me, when I have to say, when I would have that one drink, I would often just have the urge to have like a hundred, yeah. which is so unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And most of the time I wouldn't do that, especially as I got older and had like a job and a family, like you obviously, I would, but I would still recognize that there was that feeling. Absolutely. I'm with you. I think everyone listening will be like, yep, we can relate to that. One drink, then a hundred. We first of all became aware of your sobriety when you made this Instagram post and you sweetly mentioned our podcast and you wrote something that really chimed with us. So I'm going to read it back to you. You said, at the start of this journey, there were times that I felt seriously awkward, especially in social situations. But with each month that goes by, I feel much more comfortable with my decision and with myself. And now it is just my norm. That is the goal isn't it just to sort of make this new lifestyle the norm totally and it did feel really scary at the beginning I I don't know about you but I did I have definitely struggled with social anxiety Mm -hmm. um probably most of my like adult life but when I was 14 kind of and started drinking alcohol I didn't really have to learn how to socialize sober because at most social events at that age, we'd be having a few drinks. They might have only been a Bacardi Breezer or a Smirnoff Ice or whatever. We could get our hands on sometimes, you know, some vodka swipe from our parents. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Store cupboard, um, which you topped up with water. But those, yeah, those first kind of social experiences um, were normally fueled by alcohol. So it made it easier to not feel awkward. And when I stopped drinking um, and the first social occasion I went to, I felt like almost a bit paralyzed. I literally, like, I can't talk. And mm. it's it's crazy because when I was pregnant, I didn't, especially with the, my first daughter, I didn't really drink, maybe the odd glass of wine. But somehow because I was pregnant, I don't know, I just didn't, I didn't have the awkwardness. Yeah, yeah. You didn't feel as naked I didn't as feel, when you were actually so being like, free. Yeah. And I felt like the, it was this elephant in the room, like I literally had a massive sticker on my forehead yeah. that said like, I'm sober. Vic describes it as having like a spotlight on you. You yes. feel like you are brighter than anyone else in the room. Everyone's totally. looking at you, everyone knows what's going on and you feel more self-conscious than you would be after, after a drink or two. Which I totally yeah. get, that, that, that works, that image for me. Um, and when you um, first stopped drinking, did you have like support? I had Vic, I had the podcast. I had no idea that there was a sobriety presence online i had no idea that people were talking about this and sharing and supporting each other i had absolutely no idea so in my stage of life i just had a kid so i wasn't going out very much anyway we live somewhere we don't know that many people so we weren't turning down drinks parties i wasn't having to sort of come out as sober to my friends Um, but i had in my head i knew i was coming back to england soon for these weddings at least three weddings funny enough i've got three weddings in the next week again yeah it'll come up again um, and I knew that that was the time when I had to sort of face it head on, tell my friends, feel okay on the dance floor, feel okay talking about it. Um, but in terms of actual support, I don't know anyone sober. Other than, other than yeah. pregnant people and Vic, I don't, none of my friends are sober. So I felt a bit lonely and a bit naked in a way, being the only one, particularly because I didn't have a problem. So I thought people would be like, you weren't even the heaviest drinker in our group of friends. Like, 
Why are yeah. you giving up? You don't need to do this. Come on, have a drink. So I'm very aware of that. Were you the same? Were you were you the heaviest drinker in your group of friends, or were you sort of somewhere somewhere in the middle? I think I'd say I was probably somewhere in the middle. Um, I wouldn't even drink that often, but it would probably be you know a kind of boozy boozy night like once a month even that would just completely throw me off mm-hmm. um and I didn't fully realize until I completely stopped drinking just like how damaging that can be if, you know one big night a month doesn't sound like drinking a lot but mm. if you when you're kind of drinking a lot of units in that one kind of like binge drinking session it's just so harmful for the body and what would be worse for me would just be the anxiety that would probably last a week really from one from one night out yeah I want to focus on that age we just talked about when you're 14, 15. So I think when everyone, anyone will listen to this podcast and they'll go, oh, well, maybe I can't relate to Millie because she's on telly and she's beautiful and she's successful. But when I actually read into your story, you were struggling with panic attacks, anxiety and depression yeah. long before Made in Chelsea came about. And at school, you struggled with bullying. And it struck me, you know, what, what is bullying? And I thought, well, bullying is when a group of people that think they're cool pick on someone they think isn't. Yeah. And if you're 14 or 15, we know that teenage girls can be can be pretty cruel. That is also the age where we tend to start drinking. And rebelling yeah. is cool, right? Whatever school you're at, whatever your background, Completely. rebelling is cool. So do you think that being bullied and being maybe left out of a group or whatever it was, however it translated to you, led to you drinking more? You know, was there Definitely. a connection? Really? Well, it way. also led to me having low self-esteem, low confidence, being anxious or depressed. Um, so... I mean, obviously being, being anxious as well doesn't coincide well with drinking. But I well, I don't even know what I remember happening first. I remember the anxi- the anxious feelings probably from about 16. Mm-hmm. But I started drinking probably around the age of 14. You know, not, obviously not when I was at school, but on like weekends when yeah. you'd go to parties and hang out with friends. Um, and yeah, definitely being bullied um, really affected me. And I was so desperate to fit in. Mm-hmm and to be accepted and to be liked. I became such a people pleaser. And I even ended up being like accepted by the bullies in the end, and then kind of still being desperate to impress them. Yeah, yeah. Which is really sad. Mm. Um, And yeah, it was definitely wanting to rebel against my parents, just rebel against just everything, any, any rules. I just wanted, I felt like I just wanted to be bad. I wanted to break the rules. And, and you change school a lot. I, guess I change that, school quite a lot. That yeah, feeds into that, doesn't it? You've got a new identity at each school. Yeah. I need to be cool. I need to fit in. I'm sure. Yeah, that would fuel the fire of any kind of insecurity or feeling that drinking might make me cool or make me, yeah. make me feel in or make me rebellious. That's tough. It's so tough. I think. Yeah, looking back, even from yeah, like kind of one of the first times I got drunk, I had a bad experience <laughs> um, with a boy, and I think then what happened, sadly, was. Um, I was I, I then just wanted to numb how I felt and what happened on that and during that night. So every time I drank, I was just kind of trying to escape and trying to escape from how I felt. And if you are a kind of insecure, um, kind of quite miserable feeling teenager, and then you you know you have that first drink and suddenly all those worries disappear. You feel confident. You know you get that buzz, and then you just try to like continue to chase that feeling. Mm-hmm. But I've never been very good at um, like holding my drink. Like I've always been a bit of a lightweight. I've always been, I guess, quite a low like BMI naturally. Mm-hmm. I've always been that person that you can tell when they've had a drink. Right. It like, doesn't like doesn't hold it down. No poker face on you. No. 
Um, but I just, what amazes me looking back is like, why didn't I learn sooner? Yeah. Like it really like hurts me that I just can't like go back and like erase it. I feel the same way. I'm amazed when anyone reaches out to us who is 18 or 19 or 20 and has made the decision to go sober. Like I, it wasn't even in yeah. my world to consider No, it literally didn't. And there was age. so much pressure mm-hmm. to, to drink to, and to, to not just drink, but I, and to actually just get wasted. Yeah. Like it was cool mm-hmm. and it wasn't cool if you didn't. And it struck me, you know, when Vic and I tell our stories, the most embarrassing ones are almost all in our 20s. Yeah, and when you were drunk. Well, of, of yeah. course, for sure. <laughs> but um, you wouldn't do any of that shit normally. No, no. You but, you know, I feel like Vic, more so than me, she sort of got away with it was before camera phones. So she okay. feels like it's just stories that people she'll never see again know. I was, again, maybe got away with it because I wasn't in the limelight. You, like, the TV show came along when yeah. you were in your early 20s. Yeah. You're on TV, you are known. It, People have got camera yeah. phones. Like, I can't imagine a worse time for the TV oh, show God. to come along I know. with regards to drinking or, or embarrassing yourself. It would and give, you, it would give me it. such anxiety because you would have a boozy night where you maybe had a bit of a hazy memory, but you'd kind of remember that you get you got papped at some point during the night yeah. and you'd just be like, like dying, just thinking, God, I really, you were terrified to see what the pictures when they came out. Mm. Um, you know, falling over, looking really bleary-eyed, just like not a good look. Yeah. I don't think I actually cared that much then when I was first on the show. It's more, I would say like in my mid-twenties, um, I did get caught out and did get pictured like really after a heavy drinking session mm. and like the pictures like really haunt me. Really? Yeah. Still like, Just the fact yeah. that they're out there, it's so bad. Like I literally got this des- like lovely designer dress on, like shoes. I had this outfit like planned for this like special night, and we're drinking all day. And obviously, I've got no idea I'm being pictured. Um, and I actually I do remember like like it happening and thinking. At first, I didn't know I was being pictured, and then someone was like, "Oh, there's Paps," and I remember some people being like, "Hold it together!" And in my head, I was like, "I'm holding it down." Yeah, I'm holding it down. <laughs> I've got like one arm going one way, one leg going the other way. Like it's just, I just literally died so much. Like seeing those pictures, it was one of the most humiliating things. And just knowing that they're out there. But Mm. I actually go back to that memory sometimes if I feel like tempted to drink. Yes. You know, you've got your wall of shame like in your head. (laughs) Of maybe your like worst ever like drinking memories. And I suddenly just need to like have a look at the wall of shame. I'm just imagining rem- you've got like a room in this house with that printed off as a poster. You go in when you're feeling weak. <laughs> I mean, it's a Google search away, so <laughs> it's right there. And I'm like, my children are going to see that one day. Yeah. Maybe that's how I'll get them to not drink. Just. But this is what all your like, this is what could happen on their 18th birthday. The macard with that photo on. They go, are you sure? <laughs> it's so bad because they're going to be like, you can't tell me anything. Look at you. I know. I know. Oh, if only I could get them taken. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, we, a lot of people can relate Look, to that. To that, I've made up. mistakes. I made mistakes, and some of them happened to me when I was drinking. And obviously, you know, your judgment isn't there. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we who hasn't made mistakes when you're exactly. drinking, right? No but chance. doing it in the doing it in, the, in a public way is is definitely anxiety inducing and like and painful because you're literally, I'm literally like my parents saw that. Like, mm. it's mortifying. But all of us can relate to having anxiety, thinking, "What did I say or do last night?" Yours is just magnified a hundred times because strangers can look at these photographs yeah. and, and your parents can see these photographs. 
Did you consider giving up during the show? Did it ever cross your mind? This is, this is too much. I need to stop. No. Um, I remember like, so, you know, if we were filming often, I'd be drinking like a, um, fizzy elderflower. I wouldn't be drinking yeah. like when I, on those film days, so often they were like long days. And I would think to myself, I don't, yeah, I, I would, I've got to get through, you know, be filming at 8am at a pretend kind of party yeah, scene. Yeah. Um, sorry to burst the bubble for people. Shock horror, not all reality TV is <laughs> so real. It wasn't like, but, and I would, if I had like filming, sometimes I'd have to film like really hungover. I don't, yeah, it was just part of my lifestyle then. I don't think I ever thought about not drinking at that age. Mm-hmm. I would just maybe, if I had a really early morning, I might not drink like and stay up super late the night before, but I don't think I had that much self-control. Yeah. We talk a lot about the sort of spectrum of drinking. You know, Vic gave up because she had to at one point. I gave up because I became a, a parent and thought this is a good time to do it. And Vic asked me to do the podcast. And you sort of seemed to sit somewhere in between us and that you were suffering with various mental health bits and it was just the right time. H- how long did you think about doing it before you made the decision? I'd had a couple of things that happened over a year. Hmm. I went on a hen, a hen party about a year ago in Ibiza. And I just couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle my hat. I had like, well, after... We had two nights out in a row and on the third day the kind of hangover anxiety was so bad that I thought to myself I should jump out that window mm. and I don't know if that counts as like a suicidal thought I've I've never I don't I don't know I've, I've never had the thought I, I wasn't like about to do it yeah. by any means but like I thought jumped into my window into my, a thought came into my head that was I feel so bad that sh- should I jump out that window yeah, Okay, so I like logged that, right? Obviously, that I was like, the girls were going out for another like fun day. I couldn't go. I had to, I literally stayed in the hotel room, literally dying of anxiety all day, like, like feeling like horrific. So that was, that was pretty bad. And like, my best friend was really like, you, this can't, you can't like, you can't do this to yourself. Mm. And, I, and I, I just seemed to like not be able to handle it. Like, everyone else was like, I drank the same amount as everyone else, went to, went, it wasn't like I hadn't been to bed, I'd gone to bed probably about 2 a.m after kind of drinking from lunch through mm-hmm. to like the evening and it, everyone else just seemed to be able to handle it but it just affected me like so much more so that happened then I went to um, a wedding last summer and I had got a lovely outfit I was really excited to like see everyone and um, there was quite a lot of people there I didn't know it wasn't one of those weddings where I knew like everyone yeah. but I did know um, a couple of people there like really well and I was really enjoying myself, you know, had a couple of glasses of champagne. I just remember feeling at the beginning a little bit socially awkward. Then I had a few glasses of champagne, felt great. And then I don't remember the rest. Wow. And I had a big argument with Hugo. I was a mess. I kept losing my phone. People kept having to look after me. Mm. It was just bad. And what really kind of like like shocked me and what I was so like annoyed at myself about was how... I'd, I'd been having such a nice time and kind of like why did I have to ruin it and why couldn't I see the line before I crossed it but that's always been an issue for me it's like I have one and then I think oh maybe I have one more like I'm just not good at I think I can have any I had all the plans before I've tried all yeah. the different things I'll only drink one type of alcohol I'll only drink x amount of drinks I'm gonna eat first <laughs> yeah all the moderation tricks all the moderation tricks and none of them have ever like lasted or worked maybe more than once. 
Anyway, none of them <laughs> tried anything and even bothered trying any of the moderation tricks. It was, hey, let's have loads of champagne on an empty stomach. Yep. And the fallout with Hugo was pretty bad. Like we were, you know, in a quite bad like, argument for a couple of days. And we never oh, normally no. argue. Yeah. And that had been something that had started to happen over that, that last year. Like the only time we'd argue would be um, when I was drinking. And I really like hated that. It was affecting mm -hmm. our relationship mm -hmm. as well. Um, and after this particular one, it was like the argument we had was pretty bad and it felt like I said some really mean things, um, which I didn't mean. And it felt like this was the most damaging it had got for our relationship. I actually thought to myself, like, if I don't stop, like, I think this could actually potentially end my marriage. Mm. I've got two young children, like, what am I doing? Yeah. So it became a problem for Hugo as well. And then a few days after that, after I was a few glasses of wine, hadn't stopped drinking. Um, I had one of the worst panic attacks I've ever had. Actually, probably the worst panic attack I've ever had. And I felt that I, I woke up and thought that I couldn't breathe and was like convinced I was suffocating and was going to die. Um, literally thought I would never see my children again. And since that day, I've never drunk again. Yes. Now that day, I like this story because you really, similar to me, you didn't make it easy for yourself. You gave up drinking when you were on a boat, yeah, on holiday, yeah, with friends that drink, yeah, bloody hard. It was hard. It was those first few days were really hard. <laughs> what What did you do those first like, few days? How did pale you... rose being <laughs> poured around me like, constantly? I was like, oh my god, this is so because I actually do genuinely like love the taste of wine and grew up with yeah. my parents had a wine shop. Like it, you know, it was it was painful. Um, breaking up with 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 wine, but. <laughs> Breaking up with wine is a nice way of putting it. Yeah, I, um, I to be honest, because I would, I was still recovering from that anxiety attack, mm. and I don't know if you've ever had mm. one. I really would never wish it on anyone. The shockwaves from it can last for days when you have a really big one, mm. and so I just I felt quite unsteady, and I just was determined to not ever feel like that again. So that was enough motivation. I was like determined. I just you know I went to bed early. I got up early, I exercised, I kind of wanted to spend time on my own, just like with my thoughts, listening mm. to podcasts and just thinking about this new journey that I wanted to embark on. And um, as soon as I got back, I started seeing a therapist yeah. who really helped me um, with, with the not drinking. And I would check in with them every week and we would talk about it a lot. And um, I felt like I really needed the support at that. In those, those first like weeks and months, um, I found it helpful having someone to check in with to be like, how's it going? Are you, are you still not drinking? And they were really encouraging me to keep going. Was it very black and white in your mind on that day? Or was it, I need to give up for good today or else something awful is going to happen? Or were you thinking, I'll do a month or I'll do a six month? I said or... to myself, I'm going to do a year. Yeah, exactly the same as me. And we're coming up to that year. Yeah. <laughs> How are you it's feeling funny, approaching people, that yeah, one year people, anniversary? So many people have been like, oh, it's so nice. That's so everything you're doing you'll have a glass of wine on Friday, right? Or like, yeah. when you come to my party, you'll have a drink with me, yeah, right? Yeah. I'm like, no, this isn't a sober thing. Like, <laughs> I know another friend, one of my really good, like oldest friends, Kagi, she's sober curious. Yeah. And she drinks very occasionally, maybe once or twice a year and, and not very much. For me, I need the black and white, mm -hmm. I think, because otherwise there's always, the door's open. Yes. And I want the door closed. It just feels like I'll, I can, I don't know, I, I, I can't really explain why I feel like that other than that just, and count, like um, 
racking up the months that I've been sober, is a really good feeling. Yeah. Do you day count and get get a sort of kick? I don't. I don't. I, my, I just, now I just do like you know the twenty fifth every month. I have a little moment where I think like, yay, this yeah. is good. I just had nine months, um, which feels quite big because like, you're pregnant for nine months yeah. and you grow a human. So it's kind of like my rebirth a little bit. Nice. I did this like breath work. I was in Ibiza when I turned nine months. And I did like a guided breathwork session and it just, it, yeah, it felt like quite poignant. Yeah. Has it affected like the way Hugo thing. drinks? Does he drink less or think I about had to, it more? I had to call him out a few times when I'd first stopped drinking. If he sat in front of me with a glass of wine, he'd be like, oh, this is delicious. And I'd just be like, shut <laughs> the fuck up. <laughs> like, come on. And when I made him think about it and I was like, if, you know, that's just it's just like dangling it in my face like yeah. don't rubbing it in my face like don't I don't want to know if I don't I'm not I'm not banning booze from the house I, mm -hmm. I don't feel triggered seeing you have a drink but just don't tell me how good it tastes <laughs> when you know that I love a glass of rosé like just don't um but yeah I have like like good alternatives um and he'll still you know if, if I'm like making dinner he'll they pour me a kombucha with mm -hmm. some ice and a little garnish and like a nice glass and I like that I still like that experience like we're having a drink together yes. Um, he, I'd say he doesn't drink that often at home now. Um, he maybe would drink like a bit more during the week. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't have, a, I don't mind. I don't have a problem with it. And he, he can drink quite a lot without kind of seeming drunk or yeah. it does, it doesn't seem to really change him very much when he does have, you know, a couple of beers or a glass of wine. So, so the don't arguments mind. don't happen the other way around. If he's no. the drinker and you're not, yeah, that's a nice place to be. I'm the same as you. I drink a yeah. frankly dangerous amount of kombucha at the moment. I, I love it. It's yeah. so yeah. good. That is my new vice. It's just, yeah, but it's good for you as well. Yeah. I, I reckon 10 years down the line, there'll be a podcast about over drinking kombucha. At some, point, yeah, at some point, it'll be a new drug. Well, because it, some of them have like tiny, like 1% alcohol. Yeah. So I think maybe possibly for some people, anything with like even a 1% mm -hmm. is, is, is risky. Yeah. And I know some people really don't believe in this whole having a um, drink alternative. They just think, what's the point in having a mocktail? Or, mm -hmm. But I, I don't find it triggering. I like to still have that feeling like I'm having a... Treat. A treat. What I don't like is mocktails because they're so sugary. Like most, if you look at a mocktail menu, they might sound nice. They come and it's actually like the sugar hit. And what I've really noticed since I've stopped drinking, other things can give me a hangover. Oh, totally. Okay. Right? What, what gives you okay. a hangover? So, well, number one, tiredness, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, like parenting. Just being parenting, having kids, like being woken up at multiple points through the night. You, you sometimes I literally have that like headache, kind of slightly sore tummy, like literally how I'd feel if I'd had like ten drinks. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Sometimes unavoidable, um, but much more manageable than the those nights when you had had a few drinks and then got woken up five times. Yes. So like doing it without the alcohol, like it, you can kind of cope the next day. Yeah um stress yeah like i can get like a kind of social hangover so of overdoing it uh yeah being i'm i'm actually quite introverted um and i'm an empath and i find being in social situations it might be like a a work day where i'm on a shoot and there's a big team and and i'm on all day yeah. and then the next day and on the day, I feel great, have a good time like get the job done like i even i'm always like enjoying the energy of being around all those people getting a good job done and then the next day i'll feel completely wrecked completely yes. wrecked um it could be like going to a big red carpet thing and it's like you're on and it's like the pressure and the adrenaline and then like all the cortisol and the next day i feel awful yeah my wife describes that as like spending your energy tokens 
I'm so giving true. more than I have, and the next day I feel like a, like yeah. a deficit of the energy. Defi- that's yeah. so. That's exactly how I feel. So mm. on those days now, I try and just be kind to myself, do some self care, um, not have too much planned, and just kind of have like a recovery day, mm-hmm. a bit like you would if you were actually hungover. Um, sugar. Yeah. Like that's one of the worst ones for me. I went to a premiere for of a friend's um, documentary and hadn't had dinner I was really hungry and ended up just eating loads of popcorn and pick and mix sweets mm-hmm. and I had like a re- like a really horrible hangover feeling like I'd had like 10 margaritas yeah. <laughs> and it was I was like it's just from what I ate yeah so yeah the main ones I'd say like tiredness stress sugar I get these I've, yeah. I've given up sugar because I was getting that I've listened to your episode yeah I need yeah. to uh, that that's helped I get it now and I, it's probably a combination of the social thing maybe drinking non-alcoholic drinks the amount of sugar in I get it the day after a party like when I should be yeah. feeling my most smug and sober like New Year's Day this year I had a hangover I was like what is going on mm. well, two days ago I went to a barbecue and I wanted to try the non-alcoholic Guinness yeah and I drank three of them and I had a hangover the next day yeah like, this is not fair this yeah. is meant to be my one thing where I'd never get hangovers anymore but it's very real like the sober hangover is real <laughs> Are we just really sensitive? Do you reckon that's it? We're just so soft now that we don't have alcohol beating us up that anything pushes us off course. I think we're just very self-aware, right? You're aware of of much more of how you feel. You take yeah. the alcohol away, but you still you are still going to have like ups and downs. You're still going to have like crappy days. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've realised like what goes into a hangover now. It you know often that obviously the alcohol makes you feel rubbish and would make me so anxious, but it isn't. It's also it's how the alcohol affects your sleep, mm-hmm. and it's the sugar in it, and it's like that combination that just makes you feel really rubbish. Absolutely. Let's talk about identity for a second. Okay. Because it strikes me, I, I've worked a lot in in reality TV in Sydney, and it strikes me there's a day when the show ends or when you're not on the show anymore, where you're at this crossroads, where you've got people like you. There's a following. There's an opportunity to choose what you want to do with this newfound sort of fame, if you want to call it that, and you have, you sort of create new identity. And I think for, for me, you've been lots of different things in your life, as we all have. Yeah. You've been a reality TV person, you've been the mum, you've been married, you've been divorced, you've been married. So many different yeah. crossroads. Married twice before us that yeah. yeah. And I think there's a lot of, with any crossroad comes a decision which could either ramp up your drinking or you might stop altogether. You know, parenting being a choice example. Yeah. Did you find that at each of those crossroads, you know, did you find, say, divorce, I drink more? Um, coming out of reality TV, I drink more or less. Did you find that they affected your drinking as you went through each stage? When I got divorced, I actually made a like vow to myself to just not drink for, I think it was at least a month because yeah. I was like, this is a really difficult time. Mm-hmm. I was extremely anxious. I remember just thinking, I need, I need to feel my best. I need to be really strong to get through this. So I didn't drink for a couple of weeks when I was going through the divorce and the initial separation but looking back through my 20s definitely those ups and downs did contribute to the kind of binge shrinking yeah and wanting to kind of drink to like numb my feelings absolutely yeah I can't I can't imagine sort of pressure the pressure of doing it all at every stage and there was there were work events well exactly you definitely drank too you know too much and you're there you're like there's a lot of pressure you're feeling self-conscious you're feeling nervous so the social anxiety you're being you're having your photo taken so having those few drinks kind of helps with mm-hmm. all of that but then there's definitely a handful of times where it went past the point of like being you know just mildly tipsy mm-hmm. and 
that was just that was just not a good idea. Did anyone ever come up to you and say stop? Did you ever have an outside voice going, "You need to stop"? Or was it always sort of an internal dialogue? I had dialogue? I had a moment where it was like you should not have got you should not have been you know drinking at a work event. Yeah. So from a manager or someone mm. who's an employ, employer. And I would, and I and it was a point where I remember being like, okay, I really needed that to be said to me because it does, you know, it is really going to really affect your relationship with brands and who they're looking at mm-hmm. to work with. And I really realised in that moment, like, I need to step up and I need to like get my shit together and not not have a repeat of that. And luckily, I didn't do that again, but it had happened like a handful of times. You said and since it, going sober, lots of people have reached out to you as well. What, yeah. what has that been like? You know, if someone reached out and said, I'm sober because you're sober, how it has that It feels so good. And you, you were just asking me about identity and I think the kind of place I feel I'm in now, like I've become a mum, I've got two, my two kids and I feel through sharing kind of the ups and downs of my parenting journey on social media that I've really connected with people and now sharing about my kind of wellness journey and my sobriety, I talk a lot about my mental health and things I'm doing to help me feel better. And I really love the feeling of helping people, helping people to feel good. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got a friend in AA and she said one of the steps is about helping people. That's kind of one of the first steps. And I don't feel that AA or a 12 step program is is right for me, but I definitely get, I get a lot of joy from helping people. We got a message recently from a listener who's based in the UK, who wants us to do an episode on summer. And I've been here okay. two weeks, and the last two weeks have been okay. unimaginably hot. Yeah. And there is a feeling, particularly in London, summer, like any day that it's sunny is a celebration. Um, we flood yeah. to the parks, we flood oh. to people's gardens, and drinking's obviously a part of that, pims or whatever it is. How do you feel as we sort of go into summer? Good question, because I, I stopped drinking kind of at the end of exactly, summer. Exactly, that was what I was thinking. But if I can get through being on a boat with friends who drink I can I'm like I can get through it I've just I've just done my first actually I've done two sober weddings one was in London and it was it was as dinner it was quite small and then I went to a big wedding in Spain um, like two weeks ago and and I did it and it wasn't so bad I had a couple of, of friends there that also don't drink mm-hmm. so I kind of gravitated towards them and I, maybe I, I didn't feel like as I wasn't on the dance floor I wasn't yes. you know th- that version of myself that would normally be feel like I was the most f- fun person in the room that was actually probably the most annoying person <laughs> okay. I wanted yeah, sure. to talk to <laughs> but because of my experience like last summer I'm, I've got that so clearly in my mind I didn't want to have a night like that I didn't want to wake up and in the morning and feel anxious I didn't want to wake up in the morning and not be able to remember but no I'd had an awful fight with my husband mm-hmm. I, it's, it's kind of exciting what's really nice is is knowing you'll wake up the next day and you'll be okay yeah. and you'll be able to fly home without like running to the bathroom to puke every half yeah, an yeah, hour yeah. and you're gonna be able to enjoy that second day of sometimes weddings more than one day right so yeah. you've got my standard thing would be get overexcited on the first night drink too much and then like the actual wedding be like dying yes about, like being so hungover you had to puke behind a bush and I don't have that now I heard you talking on your podcast with Kagi, which I think was just before you went on the wedding, about the sober dancing. And I was like, that okay, is, that how is do my you, big can thing. You, can you, so tell me about your experience with weddings. Yeah, so I made a rule for myself, which was that I would be the first person on the dance floor after the bride and groom. Because I knew that if I thought about it and sat on wow. the outskirts, okay. I wouldn't 
I would mull it over for too long and then feel even more self-conscious. Yeah, that's that's what I did. Yeah. I didn't go. You didn't go I like kind of pulled back. Yeah. And then it was really hard to join in. Absolutely. And I still feel self-conscious for the probably the first half an hour. Of dancing of or, dancing. or of the a wedding? Bit, a bit aware. No, of dancing. Okay. Still a bit aware, still not completely myself and relaxed. And I sort of grow into it. But I, I did quite a lot before the wedding. I went to this rave in the dark, which is a sober rave. No drugs, okay. no booze. You need to give me the info black. of that. I'll give you it. They do it here. So that was quite good. Or going to a sober rave that's not in the dark. Yeah, I don't like pitch black, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, 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 it makes me claustrophobic. So maybe I need to do one in the light. Well, the one yeah. I did was in like a, a basketball court size okay. room. So I, I'm also claustrophobic. I felt yeah. okay, and it's not pitch black. Okay, it's not, got, if, know, like, if, if it's not light. if it's not like pitch black, that's you okay. can see the outskirts of people. Okay, um, so that was quite good for me. And sober, like a sober rave that isn't necessarily in the dark, but everyone's sober. That was quite I, good that's for something me. that's on my like list of things I really yes. want to try definitely do that they've got them here just to like shake off those like inhibitions and just like yeah. not care what people think they've got them here i'm sure where you go at like 7 a.m yeah. before people go to i've heard to about work. it yeah so they're quite good so all of those little things sort of built up my confidence and then just going for it just just not caring i was quite lucky the first wedding i went to what the bride and groom aren't really big dancers so there okay. wasn't a dance floor so i was like okay we'll go in easy i'll do a sober wedding and build up my confidence and then the second and the third were dance floors so i thought okay i can i can do it and then actually, I began to get a kick off overhearing people say, that guy's not even drinking. Like, look at the way he dances and he's sober. But do you feel confident in your dancing ability? I'm are you terrible. Good, are you a good dancer? Awful. But I am I am Because I'm, I'm awful all... at dancing. Yeah. yeah. But when, I'm, when I was drinking, I thought I was, I found my confidence. I was like, I've got all these moves. I look great. So. I'm all energy. Oh, I'm all enthusiasm. <laughs> no talent. I smile a now lot. Now I just see I embarrassing mum dancing. I feel that's like fine. I... That's fine. <laughs> that, at least you're out there. At least you're out there. I was thinking, this is really unfair. I thought the most sober, awkward way to end this episode is if now I reach behind me, brought out Yui Boom, put a song on and we danced. <laughs> Even that is too much. It's way too much. Okay, it's, I don't know if it's because I'm just quite, it's like a British thing. I, I can't even like watch a musical because it makes me uncomfortable. Really? <laughs> okay. What? Because of the, the energy and the enthusiasm? And the yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. That is a deeper issue. <laughs> There's something about, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm just not into musicals, but. Do you dance by yourself? Do you dance sometimes. in the kitchen upstairs if a song comes Sometimes, yeah. And do you dance your daughters? Yeah. Okay. So I guess it's just building from there, isn't it? Yeah. We've got another wedding in Italy in June. Mm-hmm. So. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to put too much pressure on myself because I think if you're like, you have to do it. But I'm going to I'm gonna try. Yeah. I think you have to like love the music as well. Yeah, or I found that sober, the one in the dark, the first half an hour, I was aware, like, I'm not really, I don't like this song, I'm not really going to dance like I'm enjoying yeah. it. And by the end, it's an hour, which is fucking long when you're by yeah. yourself in a dark room. By the end, it was like, whatever the song I'm in, like, I'm just going to enjoy moving in a weird way. That keeps me entertained. And because it's quite dark now. I yeah, because it's quite dark. So it's no inhibitions. Probably a good way to start. Yes. Maybe with the that dark That is what one. I recommend. I'll give you the details afterwards okay. for sure. For sure. The last question is, you are a mum, two girls. How do you think your sobriety has affected the way you parent? And I know that you're worried that they might drink and go, you can't tell me you, you got drunk and I've got photos. Yeah, how has it sort of affected the way you approach that? I would say it's just made me much more present with them um on the weekends I'm not hungover and kind of hiding in bed I'm like up and I normally let Hugo have a lion 
Um, so I normally on the weekends get up early with them, take them downstairs, do breakfast with them. And that's just like our time. Because mm-hmm. um, during the week, he often gets up with them and spends an hour with them because otherwise he doesn't see them all day. Yeah. And I like do a meditation, get myself dressed and stuff. So on the weekends, I'm you know, if I was hungover, I wouldn't be able to do that. Mm. I've got more energy to do things with them. Not, you know, being riddled with anxiety. I remember once I've been really anxious after drinking a few glasses of wine the night before and um I was on my way to the park with the girls my anxiety was so bad I had to turn around and go home and I just thought this is you know this is yeah. awful I'm like depriving my kids of like they're, they're having a play in the park just because I I feel like my men- my mental health is so like challenged by my decision to have a few drinks last night and I felt awful did you create a cover story for them was it oh we're just gonna yeah the park's, the park's closed, closed. <laughs> the park's closed <laughs> I think, yeah, just having the time for them, not having the time back in my life that I'm not spending hungover. Yeah. And am I right in thinking you were taking medication before you gave up alcohol? Yeah. And you stopped the day that you stopped alcohol? So yeah, I came off the medication in uh, December um, and my anxiety has been a lot better. I have had a bad panic attack quite recently on a flight, mm-hmm. which is something I'm working on with my therapist. I definitely get really triggered on flights that's mm-hmm. a really that is triggering for me um but overall i would say i have a lot less anxiety since i stopped drinking um and i haven't felt the need to be on medication i tried out um going on an ssri about a, nearly a year ago i started i think i went on i went on to in july um because my anxiety was so bad but in all honesty if i had stopped drinking before that i don't think i would have needed to mm. go on the ssri yeah, yeah. It was kind of a vicious cycle but also what I and I think it's really dangerous I don't think it's explained enough somebody should have said to me when I like a doctor when they prescribed me the SSRI do not drink with this medication because it will not work yeah and nobody said that they were like yeah it's fine you can still have you can it wasn't even not discussed it was like you can still have you can still drink it's fine really? so I was like great I've got my medication it's gonna help me feel less anxious and I can still continue to have a few drinks oh, yeah. now and then <laughs> yeah the truth is when you're still drinking, the medication can't work. So it was, it was helping with my anxiety. But when I say I had a few drinks the night before, the next day, I might still feel super anxious because the medication can't, can't work properly, yeah, like yeah. kind of cancels it out. So yeah, to anyone who is struggling with their mental health and is on SSRIs or thinking about going on an SSRI, they are, it's amazing that we have all of these different options and they might really work for you. And they did, it did help with my anxiety um, for a couple of months, but just I really, really, really would say don't don't drink. Yeah, it's a long game. If you're like taking medication for your mental health, it's just like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. That's a nice place, nice place to end. Is there anything I've missed? Anything that you'd like to say that I haven't touched on? Anything oh, okay, I know. I've got, I've got one yeah. thing I haven't said that I thought yes. that I wanted to say. So a friend said this to me. We were talking about my journey and being alcohol free and he said it's like you're in a car you're driving the car and you're going up a hill but you've got the handbrake on mm-hmm. this is like me like well I'm still I'm still drinking so you're going through life trying really hard and there's something just like holding you back because you've got the handbrake on and when you stop drinking it's like the handbrake's off and you could just go and it's like everything opens up for you and it really feels like that for me it's like I can just like feel my pot the possibilities like it's it's like you've kind of opened the door Mm -hmm. and you can just like 
properly like begin life. Yes. I hear so many Do people you feel say like that. I, have, I hear a lot of people say it feels like a superpower. It and does. They, they give up drinking and then, well, like Vic, write a book or suddenly yeah. throw themselves into wellness or throw themselves into something they had never thought they had time I feel or like it's for really, before. For me, it's really been like, it is about feeling well. Mm-hmm. And it's opened me up to look at other areas of my life which maybe weren't so healthy. It's not just about drinking. It might be my relationship with food or I've been working on like my gut health and looking at all the other pill, um, all of the, looking at all of the other pillars of wellness and now that I've removed alcohol from my life I feel like I can properly do the the work in therapy as well yeah and anyone that drives like me and drives with the handbrake on quite often before they realize will understand yeah. what that feels yeah. like to finally take it off take the handbrake off um but I, re- I really love it when people message me and reach out to me um and so please like keep doing that and yes. I, I'm just going to keep sharing on my journey and like thank you for having me on your podcast because your podcast has really helped me Thank you. And I love I love listening to it. It makes me feel good. It's also funny as well. That's the aim. That's the hope. <laughs> but, like obviously people with you know, people with bad with addiction, it's it's no joke and it is very serious. But finding the space where maybe if you don't identify with being an alcoholic, but you're somebody that wants to make change in their life, um, recognizes that alcohol isn't healthy for them but just finds it really hard to not drink. Um I find it think this podcast is great thank you thank you so much for listening and thank you for being on it we'll just keep doing what you do we will we will i need to come to australia i haven't been for so long so i'm going to find a reason to come over don't bring the kids would be my advice okay. if you can come alone come yeah, alone the, and do with jet lag by yourself the thought of the flight with the kids is probably what's putting me off visiting come you, you can stay with Vic and i okay i'd love that <laughs> cheers thank you So that was Millie. Wow, I loved her. She's sweet, isn't she? So lovely. I think it's always a good sign when you are going to sit down and interview someone if in the chats before and after the recorded bit, you get on well. And we got on great. I was there for quite a long time. She invited me into her house and just had a really lovely catch up. And I think anyone that's sort of made a name for themselves in reality TV, I think people are very quick to judge. Mm. I think I have been in the past as well. And I think when you meet someone, that's when you get a real grasp of them. Yeah. And you realise actually, you know, we shouldn't be judging anyone before knowing them really. And she was just like the rest of us. She was so sweet to give me the amount of time that she did. Her story is very similar to lots of ours. I think people often think, oh, she's famous. I can't relate. That was not the case at all, was my yeah. experience. And just very humble and very sweet and, you know, looking to help. I think she said she's been really inspired by people getting in touch. Going, oh my God, I want to go sober because you're sober. And, you know, let's help each other out. And she's totally bought into it and she gets it. She gets the community. She gets yeah. it all. It was, it was wicked. I think it's a big surprise for some people when they go sober, no matter who you are, that there are other people doing the same thing. And mm. it's only when you tap into it and you go sober and you start researching it and finding out more about it is when you do find that community, you find our podcast, you find other people and books and all this stuff that's going on that you can relate to. And there's nothing more... More inspiring than that than finding something that is your tribe your people who are feeling exactly the way you are and I love that Millie had resonated with our podcast and I'm sure this episode is going to resonate with everybody out there definitely follow her on Instagram as well she's amazing and gorgeous yes yes 
Yeah, not that that matters. It's inside and out. Yes. Luckily for me, Hamish. People follow us. <laughs> yeah, and, people and, follow we're, us. and we're sort of funny looking. Yeah. <laughs> we are sort of funny looking, aren't we? She's not funny looking. She's no. bloody gorgeous. Yes. Yeah. But she does have more followers, possibly, yeah, as a well. Probably for that yeah. reason, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not all personality sometimes. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks, Millie, and thanks, everybody out there, for listening. If you're questioning your relationship with booze, you're struggling to moderate, or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for some support. Yeah, just talk to a mate about how you're feeling, contact a local doctor, find an AA or sobriety group. fix has got one. Yeah, just head to www.cuppa.community. Remember, if you're questioning yourself, it might be time to seek support. Even though this journey can be awkward, it is definitely worth it. And if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to review it, rate it and share it with your mates. Do they have to share it with their mates? Yeah, of course they do. I'm not doing this for nothing, Hamish. Bloody hell. How do they share it? I don't know, just write it on Hi there. I wanted to tell you about a podcast that I think every single one of you will benefit from. It's called Therapy Works and it's hosted by me, Julia Samuel. I'm a best-selling author and psychotherapist. I invite you into my therapy room where I speak to either a known or unknown guest. Topics range from the difficulties of divorce, a life-changing illness to the struggles of motherhood. Search Therapy Works now wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thank you.
So, as you probably know, my comedy memoir, A Thousand Wasted Sundays, is officially out. All my magnificent fuck-uppery in one awkward hit. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy, it's now available from all good bookstores. We always say all good bookstores, don't we? Yeah. Are, there, are there bad bookstores? No, it's probably ones with moody, moody what? sellers. Oh, yeah, really yeah. depressed librarian folks. Yes, yes, okay, yeah, good, yeah. Good. So there are probably some, but we're only storing it in the good ones. It's only made it into the goodies. Yeah. You can also get it from all good online retailers. The print version and ebook are out now, and the audio book will be available in March. I've been writing my memoir for five years. It will make you laugh, cry and cringe and hopefully inspire a few people to reconsider their relationship with booze. If you love the podcast, then I think you'll love the book, even if I do say so myself. Hamish has read it. What did you think? I feel like I know a little bit too much about you now, to be honest, Vic. Look, I really loved it. It was hilarious and surprisingly moving, but I feel like I've seen you naked in a literary sense. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, that's worrying. Yeah. Yeah. From an emotional point of view, seriously, it wobbled my teeny-weeny wooden heart, Vic. Okay. (laughs) My teeny little wooden heart. His his wooden heart is broken. Anyway, so if you do manage to get your filthy mitts on a copy, please do me a favour and head to goodreads.com and give me a review. Doing that will help me get it out there to those that need a bit of sober support. So there you have it. My story, unwanted warts and all. Come and get awkward with me. Not to be too demanding or anything, but seriously, go and buy it Yeah, now. go and buy it. Go and buy it right now. Yeah, don't just tell your friends. Buy it and then buy your friends one or two. Yeah, yeah, don't give them a copy. Yeah. Buy it, yeah. And you know what? Don't be careful where you store it. If you lose it, you can always buy another yeah, five. Yeah, buy another one. Yeah. <laughs>